All right, Matthew, welcome to episode 61 of the Performance Advantage podcast with myself, Dr. Will O'Connor, and Dr. Matt Miller, sports scientist. This week on the show, we have Dr. Kim Herbert Lose. She is a French Canadian sports scientist based in Waikato University in New Zealand, and she's done a bunch of research on the Nike Vaporfly running shoes aka the cheetah shoes that matt says mechanical doping shoes uh so we want to find out from her like if it is actually cheating if they are making you faster so we'll get into that after a quick recap of what matt and i have been up to As always, shout out to our sponsors, Endurance Training Hub and Smart MTV Training, online self-coaching software to help you become a better athlete in your chosen sport. And we've got live webinars coming up on those platforms with myself and Dr. Matt and some special guests. Make sure you check that out, sign up and get access to those webinars. Don't forget, we have our Performance Advantage Podcast Masterclass, six-part course, available now on our website for you to sign up and get through that content to get your Masterclass certificate in utilizing sports science to train more effectively. All right, Matt, it's only been a week. Have you been up to much? Um, let's see. Let me think back last week. What did I do? I don't even know what I had for breakfast, actually. But uh, let's see. What did I do last week? I, did, I actually thought I needed a bit of a recovery week, so I kind of laid low um, most of the week and, uh, you know, just work. And then on the weekend, um, did a big ride, got pretty smashed, and then, you know, big big hike. So that was pretty fun. When you say you got pretty smashed, you don't mean it in the Kiwi term of like getting on the beers until about 2 a.m.? No, it means I did an endurance ride with Caleb and was pretty much holding on for dear life for three hours. So, yeah, I was pretty tired from that. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty good to go explore in the in the rain, hit some gravel, and we were out there. So, it was pretty good. Yeah, as a bit of a backing, um, Matt, so Matt coaches this pro junior elite rider mountain bike rider for new zealand and he's been coaching him since maybe the age of 15 16 we had him on the podcast caleb botcher and now he's about 18 19 matt goes out for a long endurance ride with him and he's like man i just can't do it anymore will i can't hang with him i was pretty much tempo for about three hours yeah that's for, yeah so I, I was telling this to will in confidence but it's okay. it's um it's true like uh we used to be able to do endurance rides yeah, quite easy. Four, five, whatever hours, and uh, but I, I just can't hang. I, I haven't gotten like really slower, um, but like I can see his power and his heart rate. And I was like, well, you know, he wasn't even trying. <laughs> I was definitely uh, uh, at the limit. Uh, so you know, the last hour or so, I was just drafting him, going thirty-five k's, and he's lower zone two. So yeah, it's it's tough when someone gets so fast, you know. Um, they're pretty limited with, you know, who they can ride with and still get a good workout, which, you know, that's where it gets kind of starts to get lonely at the top because when you're doing a six hour ride and no one can hang with you, um, (laughs) you know, it's, that's when things start to get tough, but uh, it's good to see that progress 
over the last you know four or five years now yeah, just it's sore <laughs> it's one of those important things as well where like you you love your data right you know what oh, yeah. you're looking at and oh, yeah. you can also access his so <laughs> so you can go oh yeah he must have been pushing uh nope no he wasn't no <laughs> but a lot of people like we've we've all got training partners or training groups group rides bunch rides group runs there's always that you know there's that one caleb in the bunch in the group who's cruising but also pushing the pace and everyone else is swinging like struggling to hold on but thinking everyone else is kind of working at that same rate and so you generally will have like one or two people getting a solid endurance workout and other people just absolutely thrashing themselves yeah. like you. Yeah. And then it, you know, if you're not totally sure what you're doing with your training, that's when you end up thinking that everyone's thrashing themselves. So you thrash yourself then every single session. <laughs> that's when things get bad for you. Right. <laughs> and uh, that's, you know, that's the Steve that we talked about when we did our podcast on designing a training plan. And uh, you know, that's a pretty classic move. Oh yeah, man. I like, when I first got into into triathlon, I just wanted to go. If someone was like, oh, well, you want to join me for this workout? You're like, well, that's how you get fast. So sure. And then you join seven different people on seven days of the week. <laughs> you don't get faster. No, they do. No. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's not to say, though, that it's not good to train with someone better than you. But you should do it on select days uh, and not all the time. But you can learn a lot from someone better than you, for sure. Yeah, and uh, Matt, speaking of like monitoring your training and loving data, I just bought a new lactate meter, so I'm, I'm quite excited about it. Cool. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's not a normal thing that people just have is a blood <laughs> lactate <laughs> analyzer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, I bought it for a couple reasons. Like one for my like just personal interest, um, make sure I'm training effectively, and also for that like athletes that i work with offer it as a service like lactate testing um more so for myself definitely <laughs> just <laughs> you know just an excuse to buy one really uh because it's somewhat related to my job but uh yeah so i went down to lactate like curve test uh threshold test yesterday matt went down to the athletics track did a bunch of like i just did 1200 meters three laps of the track at varying speed increasing speeds um found my my threshold around 3.30, so I'm just about to put a video up, so check that out for, for more info on that. But, um, I'm yeah, I'm stoked that now I can start to really dial in what threshold is, Matt, because if I said threshold or tempo, man, how wide is that range and interpretation to different people? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been scrolling through the forums, actually, with some other you know, people talking about those same things. I'm like, oh man, you guys need to like check out the, uh, our masterclass or at least our <laughs> training zones podcast episode. But it's, it's pretty funny. There's a lot of, uh, maybe misunderstandings in there, but it's good that you can finally get that data and you'll be able to do that with your clients as well, which would be really cool. Yeah. So like the main reason, um, like I got one for myself was to actually figure out when you, when you have threshold, we will actually, we sh maybe maybe that's next week or the week after, Matt. We'll just talk about lactate and how it's not it's not the villain of yeah. slowing you down. Um, your what friend, you can do, yeah, when you, yeah, your friend <laughs> lactate. When you know what what's happening, you know when you know that that 
kind of exact point or pace where it's lactate's accumulating, you start your, your anaerobic, you have an issue, you're on borrowed time. Um, and I've got a marathon coming up as well as a 24 hour race, but the marathon, more importantly, like you're really flirting with that line for two and a half hours. And like, and so I need to find that line at which I'm like just below and able to keep running, keep running, um, without burning any matches. And so, so yeah. And of try and apply that to training but anyway matt that's what I'm, that's what i'm doing that's what i'm doing yeah cool sweet so so we have kim on and you contacted kim i know kim was doing some i think she's doing some research in mountain biking and um you know you wanted to get her on because she's been researching these biomechanical doping nike vaporfly shoes yeah so um however it came across my my desk was paper which is a, a preprint so preprint means it just hasn't been published hasn't been through the full peer review process um which to most people doesn't really actually mean anything because the research has been done and it's titled evidence of variable performance responses to the nike four percent shoe definitely not a game changer for all recreational runners mm-hmm. when i saw this and saw that she was in waikato you know just up the road and in, in Tauranga, i was like we should get her on the show, have a chat, figure figure this out, see if Matt's just like, you know, scaremongering or um, what are you just jealous that people have these shoes and <laughs> potentially running faster than him? What's <laughs> cynic of technology? Um, so anyway, like, and Dr. Kim Herbert Lose is uh, she's an applied biomechanist and senior lecturer at uh, at University of Waikato, and she's. A Canadian from Montreal did a PhD in New Zealand in like calf muscle activation and fatigue, and she has the Calf Raise app, which is pretty cool. She created an app. Matt, you didn't talk to her about creating apps, but that probably could have been a good good discussion. And man, oh. she has been around. Like she worked at the High Performance um, Sports Center at the Swedish um, Research Institute, Nebraska Athletics Performance Laboratory Institute in Malaysia as a senior biomechanist um, and researcher and now works at Waikato Uni, Uni in the Adams Centre for High Performance, which is one of New Zealand's top high-performance uh, centres. And she's a reasonably accomplished runner herself. And to have someone of that calibre you know, and, and level of understanding of biomechanics, well, I'm definitely no a- expert, as you'll hear. Like, I thought everyone was heel strikers. I mean, four-foot strikers, <laughs> but I got schooled um no this is cool this is why it's awesome to get experts on to talk about these things and kim was really open to talk about like uh her research and what they did as part of the study and um it's it's very cool so i think there are a lot of people interested in these shoes and i think everyone's going to be really interested in uh, our talk with kim yeah all right we'll uh we'll put it on All right, Kim, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Um, so Matt calls these shoes cheetah shoes. Yeah, and, uh, mechanical doping. <laughs> Fair enough. And your your paper, I guess it showed that and it didn't show that. Um, the, the big takeaway for me was like, oh, yeah. So when we're looking at, in this case, the Vaporflies, uh, Nike Vaporfly 4%, 
there was a, a definite statistical improvement in like running economy slightly, but then a 3K time trial and time trials really what we're interested in. Um, there was an there was an improvement, so that's yeah. So what like what are your opinions if we before we get into like the science side of things? What do you what do you think about these shoes? You're a runner. Do you wear them? Uh, yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's great to <laughs> to be on the podcast with you guys. Um, and no, I I don't wear uh, the Vapor Five shoes. I'm actually on the other end of the spectrum, so I've transitioned into a more minimal shoe myself personally. Um, and that's a choice. And that was off the backing of evidence that wearing lighter shoes will improve performance. And as well as, you know, um, yeah, it's kind of a, a good feel and good and good for, you know, calf muscle strength. And I, I'm, I kind of have a thing for calf muscles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my PhD was on calf muscle. So, you know, it kind of goes around. Um, and yeah, I mean, and to come back to your question, whether or not, you know, I, I do think that they improve performance. If you look at the evidence, it's kind of hard not to say that they improve performance. Um, but what was novel about our paper that we did here was um, it does, but there are individual responders that you have to, you know, consider. And not everybody actually responded favorably to the to the like um, you know four percent shoe, I guess. So well, there yeah. you go. Well, like maybe you should uh, be careful with these shoes. But now that you have your new lactate meter, you could. Um, do some time trials and measure your lactate. Yeah, made some yeah. running economy, couldn't you? Well, I'm definitely going to be doing that, Kim. I've just bought a uh, a lactate meter um, oh. for personal, private use, as you do. Sure. You know, yeah. Um, so I'm pretty excited to test some of this stuff out because as we'll we'll kind of work our way through your paper, I guess, to you know, so we don't jump all over the show. Um, sure. I know, like lactate lower lactate levels, you did show that. Um, but so like. I guess if we get into the the study, what was the what did you want to achieve by by doing this? Yeah, so I mean, the main thing is that all of the research that had came out on the Vaporfly was all in in elite runners or highly trained runners. And really, if you take a step back from that, you know, Nike's biggest market is not necessarily the elite runner. There's a whole lot more recreational people, um, you know, on on the planet that there is um, elite runners. And as you would know, I, I don't know if you have a, a Nike four percent shoe. Um, I have a few spare pairs from my trial. If you want to give them a go, uh, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll um, travel up the road for that. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's not that far, actually. Um, you can you can ride your bike, maybe. <laughs> you could run uh, there. <laughs> yeah. And you might run four percent faster if you put the, the Nike Vaporfly. Um, <laughs> but. Yeah, no. So, I mean, I guess that the, the main drive was to actually see if in, you know, your more day-to-day -day runners, if it did actually improve performance in, in that population group. Um, for us, it was also really important that we weren't sponsored by um, any shoe company or, or Nike, because some of the first papers um, that did come out were sponsored by Nike. Um, and, you know, come what may, they're you know, there might be some bias within within that. I'm not saying there was because the researchers, you know, the researcher are, 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 you know, well, well known. And I, I don't think there would have been bias, but you still have to kind of take that bias away. So we actually purchased the shoes as soon as they became available for, for public sale, because, you know, the study was was conducted, um, the trials we started almost a year ago. 
Um, and then, you know, collecting data from 18 runners on four different occasions. Um, it's, it's quite a massive study, actually. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that was kind of the, the, the impetus for this was to, you know, kind of have an independent research more to inform, um, you know, you and me, as opposed to, you know, Ilya Kipchoge, who has his own, you know, sports science team. Um, yeah, oh, that's pretty interesting about your your group that you used because we see that like in all kinds of sports equipment it's all made for the pros and then everyone's like oh well if the pros use it then obviously that's what i need because it costs more or it looks better or you know it's said to work better so the, but pros are like a, a great marketing tool aren't they to for a company to sell things but maybe oh, it's not the best thing for us all the time no for sure and i mean you know, for $400 a pair of shoes, which was the price that, that we bought them, you know, that's still quite a considerable investment, you know, if you're going to invest, well, does it actually work? And, you know, that's, that's kind of like the question that we wanted to, to look into. So yeah, you had a bunch of runners, and you tested, obviously, you tested the, the four percenters. Um, but then you'd need to test other shoes, right, these people in other shoes. So how, like, what kind of shoes and things did you compare them to yeah so i guess we wanted to compare it with something that we quote unquote knew was going to work um which is where we went with the racing flats so you know up until the nike vaporfly the most consistent evidence of you know what type of running shoe would improve performance was the lighter the shoe um the better for running economy right because if you take weight away from the shoe you have less mass to carry around um so it, it, it costs less oxygen um to run basically so that was um our our other shoe um but i guess from another perspective what was was novel but at the same time you have a little bit less control is that we wanted to compare it to what people were used to wearing and um because the assumption there would be you know in in a running community if you train in a certain shoe you get used to wearing that shoe right and it's kind of like the mechanical loading principle or you know motor learning patterning is that you get used to your shoe and you develop strength um basically in that shoe right which is why people struggle if they go from you know a traditional shoe to wearing a milnish shoe is because their calf muscle the low goes to their calf muscle it goes to their feet um, and then they, they have stress factors or, or injuries because they're not used to the loading in those particular structures. So our thought was, okay, well, let's actually compare it as well to what people are used to wearing. And our assumption would be that people who um, were used to wearing shoes that were perhaps more comparable to the Nike Vaporfly might respond better for instance, to a Nike Vaporfly, or if runners were more used to wearing lightweight shoe, then they might actually respond better to wearing um, the lightweight shoe. So that was that was our kind of baseline assumption, and that was our three different shoe conditions that that we looked into. So individuals' own running shoes, um, the the Nike Vaporfly, and a Saucony flat endorphin endorphin racer, so more of a of a racing flat lightweight shoe. So you had them um, running at three different intensities as kind of like your fixed comparable measure, right? Across Correct. the board, I think it was like 60, 70, 80% of VO2 max. Yep. And then after that, there was a 3K time trial, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. 
Okay, so that's a pretty demanding protocol to do that about four times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, the first session was baseline. So the first session is where we established the, the VO2 max, so the VO2 peak, which would then help us set that, six, uh, that 60, 70, and 80% of, of their, their speed at VO2, VO2 max, basically. Um, and during that initial trial, we also did familiarization with the running shoes to make sure that, you know, they, they, you know we bought four different um, sizes, um, and that's more of a budget consideration as well. So, you know, we had to make sure that um, the runners were comfortable in those shoes. And um, we also uh, got their perceptions in terms of how comfortable they felt uh, those shoes were as well. Um, and then in sessions two, three, and four, that's when they did, uh, like you like you mentioned, the running economy test. Then they had a break and then did that, a 3K time trial um, on, the, on the treadmill. So all, all of this was treadmill-based. Cool. Out of curiosity, did you ask them how cool they thought the shoes were? <laughs> like maybe if that factored in, because like they look cool, right? Yeah, yeah. So we um we kind of tried to reduce that effect by uh, so we actually spray painted um, the shoes black. So um, previously, it makes them even cooler. Yeah, well, well, <laughs> New we so, you know. With the camouflage that vapor flies. Um, yeah, so so to in an attempt to try to reduce uh, you know, the perception effect or how they they you know, if they had if they knew we were testing the night vaporfly, um, they might think, Oh yeah, you know, I'll run faster. Um, so to try to minimize that we 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 spray painted the shoes black. Um, and in the scientific community we actually got a lot of um you want backlash almost from, from the oh, scientific no. community saying Reviewer oh, two. Yeah, no, <laughs> no this, this was reviewer one, two, and oh, three. No. Um, uh, here we go. <laughs> you know, um, and, and oh, I won't say anything because I won't, I won't be biased, but um, they, they tended to be from a certain country as well. Um, and they say, oh, well, you know, that they all thought that was funny that we couldn't actually blind people from knowing that that was like vapor flies. Um, but at the end of the experimental trial, you like, you have to remember this was when the shoes first came out. You know, so this was before Iliad Kipchoge actually broke the two hours. Um, and, you know, little New Zealand is, is a little bit kind of remote. I think people forget that, that, you know, we're a little bit remote from the rest of the world. And there was only one um, of our participants when we asked at the end of the tri uh, trials, do you know what shoes we're testing, that they knew there was the, the Nike Vaporfly. So we had just told them we were, we were testing two, you know, two different types of shoes and we wanted to find out what was better for performance for them. And yeah, at the end we said, you know, what shoes you were running in and there was only one person that actually knew. So, well, Being yeah. based in New Zealand, I would think that everyone <laughs> thought it was uh, the Nike Freeze. <laughs> I see pretty much everyone wearing the Nike Freeze shoes like everywhere. Yeah. I don't know if it's just me, but, the, you know, black and white and I see them everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, yeah, from the like, from my perspective, uh, within the running community, you know, it wasn't until they brought out the yeah, Elio yeah. Kipchoge broke two hours. They had the both the the next percent and the alpha yeah. fly, where people were like, oh, okay, these yeah. shoes are faster. Before that, it was kind of like Nike are doing something with cushion, and maybe it's faster, but I'm not yeah. spending four hundred bucks. No, yeah, like exactly. that was just the general. And then if you trickle down to um, less competitive runners, you got less knowledge base. So, yeah. and then when you spray paint them black, it's I'm sure, yeah, there's a lot of people not really sure what's going on. So, and, so yeah. on that, like what is actually going on in these shoes? 
So what's actually the thing that is um, making these changes uh, in people's running? Yeah, so I mean, have, have you guys ever tried these shoes on? So I've got um, two pairs of Zoom flies. Yep. Yeah, so and I've that- got like the original Zoom fly and the Zoom fly three. Um, it's, okay. It's probably yeah. quite simple. So the Zoom fly three came out after the vapor fly and mm. sits, yeah. So like it's carbon plated, it doesn't have um, Zoom X foam though. Yeah, you guys are like speaking another language to me. Uh, so basically, when I think of these shoes, I think biomechanical doping, cheater shoes. Yeah, have lots of different names like that for them, and I'm just like imagining this carbon fiber leaf spring inside the shoe, kind of like what Oscar Pistorius is running on. Sure, sure. So that that's where a lot of of people think that the benefits come from is is from the uh, carbon fiber plate, but. Actually, most of the benefit comes from the the, the cushioning. So the the PBAX Zoom um, or however they call it, um, uh, the, the the cushioning if within the shoe. But the cushioning probably wouldn't work on its own. So by having that additional kind of carbon fiber plate, it's the mix between you know how much energy return the the cushioning gives you, um, and the carbon fiber plates allows that. Um, basically the shoe not to degrade um, to a certain extent, which again, there's, there's a little bit of debate out there is, is how long these shoes actually last. Um, so that would be an interesting study that I, I think is actually going on internationally is that, you know, if you actually wear these shoes for a period of time, how long do, do the energy return properties um, maintain within the shoe? So to come back to your original question, it's actually the combination of the, the cushioning with the carbon fiber plates that assist in the energy return. Most of the energy return actually comes from the phone, so not necessarily the carbon fiber plate. But if you didn't have the carbon fiber plate, then the, the phone wouldn't work the way it does. Kind of be like a pillow. Yeah. 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 Well, because you used respect. two terms that I've, I thought were really good, um, compliance and resilience, um, and in terms of like relating to, I guess, the cushioning system of the shoe or the shoe as a whole. Cause what yeah. we hear in like running terminology, I guess is um, like responsiveness. And, yes. and I like, I think it's a really bad term cause it's too vague uh, because yeah. you can have a responsive shoe that's really cushioned, but it's a bit responsive, but then you can have a really yeah. firm shoe with a carbon plate and that's going to be really responsive as well, but yeah. in a different way, like not a responsive cushion, like a responsive propulsion. Um, and so, yeah, you had um, compliance and resilience. So that was kind of like the energy return as well as the cushioning. System. Yes, correct. Yeah. 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 I thought that was, can, would you be able to explain that a bit more? Yeah. So compliance would just be more like the ability to say deform. Yeah. So something yep. that that's compliance, um, you know, if you come back to your cushioning analogy, something that is more compliant will compress more. Yeah. Whereas something that is more resilient will actually return you more energy. Yeah. yeah. So then the shoe kind of has a combination of, 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 of both of these features is that, yes, there is some compliance or some compression happening, but the amount of energy return is much higher than any um, of comparable marathon, you know, racing shoes, basically. So up to 87% of the energy that's stored within the shoe uh, or within that foam is actually returned 
Okay. So I guess to put this into like a really simple to understand terms, I I saw this, uh, this video that Evan from stride put on Instagram and uh, he had the the shoes and he threw them onto the ground (laughs) and it bounced back into his hand. So that's kind of the thing that you're talking about right there. It's storing and returning like most of the energy and that's why it's able to bounce back. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a spring, basically, you know, or or an elastic band. You know, you have elastic bands that you can you can stretch a lot, but then they don't actually, you know, fling back or return. You know, you wouldn't if you were using it as a slingshot, the ball wouldn't go very very far. Whereas, you know, you can have one that that is more, you know, resilient, and then will actually return a lot more of that energy that you've pulled into that um, that elastic band. Yeah, that um, like life the last of that resilience um, study would be super interesting because that is the big question, right? Like do, how long do they last? Um, yeah, so, yeah. There's some evidence around, you know, Twitter, some people complaining. I mean, there was one researcher that bought a pair in Australia and he took it out for one run and the, the, the shoe was already degrading and he posted that on, on, on Twitter and he was quite, you know, angry about it. <laughs> Um, and yeah, but then there's other people that say, yeah, I've been wearing them for, you know, 800 K and they're still fine. Um, so I don't know if it's just the, the different running mechanics and the stresses that they put on the shoes that are different or, um, yeah. And you know, the reality is we, we just don't know. So if you're an elite, if you're an elite athlete and you get a new pair every time you run a marathon, then you're sweet. But you know, if you're, you're a recreational runner, um, you know, then, then there's also that component in terms of, you know, the, the risk reward as well, because these shoes are fundamentally, they change the way you run. Yeah. And they actually change. And, and from a biomechanical perspective, it's really interesting because, you know, typically running economy is associated with a reduced vertical displacement. Yeah. Okay? So people who down. are the up and down movement. Exactly. So people who are more economical bounce less up and down. And I often make the analogy, you know, if you're running, you want to be moving forward. You don't want to be moving up and down. Yeah, you don't want to be wasting energy. Um, whereas these shoes, they actually increase that up and down movement. They make you more economical, but you're bouncing more. So they're actually changing the fundamental biomechanical laws or laws or principles that we've kind of been, you know, investigating or that we know in running is, is associated with, with running economy. Um, so I find that really fascinating in terms of how it's it's fundamentally changing the way people run and what those links, you know, that the biomechanical links between running and running economy. Yeah. So if we go then into, <clears throat> into your more like the results. Yeah. <laughs> so we have, um, so we have the, you have your own shoes, you've come in, you know, you've, you've done the, the test, you've got these racing flats as a traditional racing flat. Anyone understands it would, it's as light yeah. as possible. Uh, yeah. and then you've got the, the new like super shoe pretty much and what like what did you find yeah so actually to um i'll be i'll be completely honest to my surprise when i first ran the analysis i was like oh i found an average 4.2 percent improvement in running economy (laughs) And, and, and to be completely honest i was i was i was like oh wow okay i replicated someone and and that's when you know that the results are are there is when someone can reproduce the same results um as as another another person's lab right so i was i was fundamentally surprised to be completely honest but then when you started like i said when you start to look a little bit more into the data some people responded very positively but we also saw some people in the night vaporfly didn't do so well 
Yeah. Um, so on average, yes, the, the Nike 4% shoe improved running economy by around 4%. But what we also found was that the, the racing flats also improve running economy. Yes. Um, so in essence, your own shoes suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was kind of like the tagline that we put in our, in our, you know, in our Twitter post um, was, you know, which was a little bit counterintuitive was that, you know, what people are used to wearing, um, they actually perform the worst in. Yeah. So we can, we can talk about why that could be. Obviously, you know, we didn't control for the amount of wear in these shoes. Um, you know, that there's, there's certain things that you can't control. You know, some people came in and, you know, the, the Nike shoe, for example, weighs around 210 grams. You know, some people had shoes that, that weighed as much as 380 grams. You know, that's a huge, that's a huge difference. Yeah. 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 But that's, that's what they were used to wearing, you know? So is it just because they were new shoes and that they perform better or they knew they were experimental shoes because then, then maybe there was that placebo effect that, you know, obviously we can't control for the, both of the shoes were spray painted black, but they were both new shoes compared to what people were used to wearing. Yeah. But yeah, fundamentally own shoes was, was the worst condition. So flat, improve running economy and Nike improve running economy. Nike improve running economy the most. Statistically speaking, if you compare the Nike and the flat, there was no difference in, in, in running economy between the two. But if you looked at the percent values, then yes. If I, if I told you, okay, well, this will make you 4% better and this will make you 3% better, what shoes would you more likely be inclined to go with? Sorry, can we, can we unpack this, uh, this running economy <laughs> measurement here? So sure. I know, like before we started, uh, Kim, you're like, I don't want to talk about running economy too much because <laughs> you don't think of yourself as a physiologist and that's okay because I like running economy is a super important aspect of biomechanics as well. Sure. Sure. Um, and I guess like the reasons why you're seeing some of these differences is partially because of the mass of the shoes. So like the flats are really light, so you might expect yes. it to be easier to run, Correct. um, when the shoes are light, so more economical. Yeah. And then the, the Nike shoes uh, are returning a lot of that energy. So maybe that could be contributing to that economy. But what exactly is running economy? Yeah, so, I mean, running economy is, is a little bit like your car, right? If, if you have an econo- economical car, you, have, you use a certain amount of um, fuel, right, to travel a certain distance. If you're more eco- economical, you, you use less amount of fuel to cover that same distance, or for the same amount of fuel, you can, tra- you can travel further or cover the same distance faster. If we transpose that analogy to running, then it's the same principle. If you're looking at oxygen consumption, so how much oxygen you use to run at a given speed, which is fundamentally what we've done here is that we looked at you know, a, a consistent speed within individuals and we looked at how much oxygen they were consuming to travel, you know, that, that cer- at that certain speed. So if you were more economical, then you would use less oxygen for your body mass to travel um, at that certain speed. Cool. So, so normally like that running economy is direct or that the oxygen used is directly proportional to the amount of work you're doing. So you go faster, you use more oxygen, yeah. but then what you guys are probably doing is controlling speed. I think you tested at a few different speeds. So yeah. then the only difference there is the shoes and that's, that's where the mass comes in, right? So with a lighter shoe, you would be doing 
less work, right? So that should improve your running economy? Um, yeah, sure. There's, I mean, in a very, very simplistic form, <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, this basically the amount of, you know, your body mass as individual, I mean, I think on average, are, I'm, I would have to check the paper, but, you know, let's say it was a, a typical male running person that, you know, maybe 70, 75 kg mass, we're talking about, you know, 200 grams difference um, at the shoe. That's not going to make a huge um, amount of difference for the overall body mass, but it's just how much they actually have to carry distally, which is the main main thing that you have to lift, I guess, when you're running is, is your feet. Yeah, so that's why it makes such, it has a potential to make an influence on your running economy. Cool. Yeah, yeah. right, I see. So it's like... I never really thought about that, but I, because I always have a complaint about these new aerodynamic bikes. And I'm like, well, the bike makes up 15 to 20% of aerodynamics. So like you still got to put a human on it. It's kind of the same mm -hmm. thing with a shoe. Like you can have this really heavy shoe, quote unquote heavy, but then you stick an 80 kg individual in them and it becomes negligible. So one of the ways you're able to cor correlate kind of the economy or economic improvements and the running and the, with the shoes and everything, you did a time trial. And that's kind mm -hmm. of like, the best way like well cool you've got all this data um that's interesting for us as scientists to be like oh yeah oxygen consumption lactate biomechanics but are you going to be faster um yeah yeah so like what came out in the in the time trial yeah so that was our main reason for doing a time trial is, is most of the research had been on you know running economy or then strava da data showing you know people were improving um you know out in the field if you want now whether or not that's good data to be using is, is a different different story um but yeah which is why we did a 3k time trial um yeah matt you got something to say or <laughs> uh, i think it's funny because we talk about like how bad strava is all the time on the podcast oh, okay. like how inaccurate it is so it's just nice to hear so just as that. a like as an aside on that study it was it was an odd one i thought really where this um researcher pretty much just because on on strava you can list your shoe right sure. so and then he collected i think like the i think it was was it 10k and half marathon times it was half marathon half marathon and marathon times yeah half marathon marathon times and then looked at the shoe and the different shoes and tried to make basically analyze a big data set to yeah to sh yeah to see what the effect of shoe of shoe was yeah correct yeah and then found that the uh, shoe weight right and you probably know this paper a lot better than i do but i just thought i'd give it a like in case people some of our listeners might want to read it check it out like i'll link to it but um yeah so it was yeah it was a paper by um queerly and now that and and by paper um you know it was a journal article published in the new york time yeah so wasn't necessarily a peer-reviewed um scientific article it's it's a new york new york time um journal article um that came out and did compared the uh vaporfly and the next percent and did exactly what you said. So they looked at people's race results um, and they looked at, you know, whether they were switchers. So whether they switched to the Nike Vaporfly um, or the next percent. And they showed that people who switched to those shoes um, had a 73, were 73% likely to set a PB. And um, that average improvement was around four and 5% compared if they switched to some other shoe or compared if they kept their own shoe. Um, take what you want from that but that that was what they that's what was what they showed 
yeah. but then you did show in yours that your yeah. own shoes suck so yeah <laughs> just, definitely just switch just whatever shoes matt you can do for your next yeah. running race just switch them i, just, I, I yeah, already ordered them <laughs> i ordered them as we're talking about it and i haven't run in weeks but that's yeah. funny because strava still thinks i'm using like the same mountain bike on all my road rides from five years ago and i'm not right no, well, so, like all that that's funny but you know that i think that's okay for the new york times and strava collects their own data and they do their own reports sure, that are, sure. you know okay um, i guess yeah anyway the three three k time yeah the three k so how'd you go so, what'd you what would you find yeah so we did we did find that the nike improved the the 3k time trial um by an average of, of 2.8 percent um so the the running economy improvement was four percent um the the race or the the time trial improvement was around um 2.8 percent which which agrees with um you know the the scientific evidence on just because you improve in running economy by four percent, that doesn't automatic or that, that doesn't equate to four percent improvement in a race result. Okay, so so people sometimes kind of put those two together. They're yeah, related, yeah. but the amount the percentage improvement is not the same because you're running at at a different intensity. Yeah, so when you're running a time trial, obviously you're running at a much higher intensity than at, at 60, 70 or eighty percent of your of your VO two max. Um, and for a longer period. So, um, but yeah, so we did, we did find that in the time trial, the Nike actually outperformed both the, the racing flat as well as their own shoe. Um, so yeah, which, which was interesting. And we, you know, made some speculation as to, to why that, that could be in, in the paper, um, including the fact that, you know, the difference between what people were actually wearing, which typically, you know, um, if you, if you run in an A6 or, you know, a, Brooks Glycerine, or most people wear more traditional type running shoes. And what what I mean by more traditional type running shoes is that you know there's a there's a, a certain heel height, there's a certain heel to toe drop, and there's a certain amount of cushioning in the shoe. Now, going from that typical shoe to a flat shoe that has you know zero cushioning, zero heel height, no heel to toe drop, is much different than going from your traditional shoe to the Nike Vaporfly. Yeah, big time. Especially like like you're saying, if you're doing whatever you know, three to five minutes at a sub maximum intensity, it's 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 all right. You might settle into it, but you're doing a three k all out time trial, and then yeah. like like you're saying, um, with the the calf loading, foot mechanics, like that, um, I'm sure must impact running economy and therefore time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's why we designed our study the way we did is because, so I'm actually a physiotherapist from, from training. Um, I'm a registered physiotherapist in New Zealand and um, some of my co-authors are, are physiotherapists as well, uh, slash biomechanics. And then we were concerned that if we actually um, did a longer tri- time trial, so initially we had talked about doing a 5k time trial, which would be more in, you know, um, resemble what you know people do in park runs or you know what a typical distance that you would see in a, a recreational race but we were actually concerned of the novelty of the shoes and the amount of loading that people would do if you know we asked them to do three time trials in a you know three uh, you know a week apart 5k so that's why we reduced it to you know kind of like a 3k 3k time trial and previous you know studies had also looked at that distance in a 
research context. So we thought, yeah, okay, well, for the well-being of our participants, we'll um, do a 3K instead of a 5K. <laughs> it's a very classic physio move. Uh, yeah. Hey, yeah. Make sure you're, you're progressive loading. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys, I, was, I would have been like, oh, yeah, I think we could probably do half half full marathons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, the, good, the good news is that, no, we didn't have any um, people come back with injuries um, with, with the, in our 18 runners, so that, that was good. Good move. <laughs> I was kind of wondering that when we're talking about a shoe that returns so much energy. So mm. there's already so much loading when we're running. And a lot sure. of it's due to you know, the braking force and the other forces of, you know, a moving body because there's so much mass and you're moving very quickly. So if that shoe is able to return the energy, it's returning that energy back into the person, isn't it? Yeah, into the person or that's just less energy that they need to expend. Yeah, so they get energy savings, I guess, and then they can tap into, you know, a little bit later, which I know, you, you know, it sounds like a Will here in particular is a, you know, lactate fan. Um, but, you know, that was one of the things we did see was that at the, the higher, you know, kind of uh, running intensities, um, there was a lower accumulation of lactate um, in the Nike, in the Nike Vaporfly. Okay, now we know, you know, obviously lactate is not necessarily a byproduct. It can be used as a fuel a fuel source. But, you know, if you're able to shift that curve, um, then, you know, you would theoretically be able to perform at a, you know, for a, a longer period of time, um, you know, before reaching, reaching fatigue. So. Okay. so as a physio, though, you're not concerned about this extra increased energy being returned to the person and. Do you, you think that, you know, long-term if someone's wearing these shoes and dealing with this added energy being stored and returned back, that's not going to affect um, the, mechan the mechanics of the person at all? No, I wouldn't say that energy is returned to the person per se. I mean, it's it's kind of to this return to the system, if you want, like the runner shoe system, if, if you take that as a whole from a biomechanical perspective. Um, what I would be more concerned about as a physio is the fact that as I mentioned previously, they're kind of changing their biomechanical patterns and running in these shoes. So um, I tried, I tried them on, um, even though they were too big for me because they were men's size, but I figured I'd give it a go. And it really feels like you're, you're almost bouncing, like it's propelling, it's propelling you. It's a really, really odd, like running sensation. Um, and, you know, some of our, our, you know, participants did comment on that as well. And that, you know, it, it was a, a style of running or, you know, a sensation that they weren't used to. Um, and it's more the changing of those person biomechanics um, and where those loadings might shift to that I would be more concerned about in terms of, of, a, of a physiotherapist is that it's just completely changing the pattern or the way that a person runs. So, you know, so it's almost like if you go, you know, if you go to do a workout in the gym and you're doing a new, a new movement, well, you might have DOMS, right? <laughs> um, and people kind of think, oh, yeah, okay, I did, I did 10, you know, I did three sets of 10 reps. So, you know, you lifted 30, you know, 30 times. But if you go run, every minute that you run, the average person will take 160 steps per minute. Okay, on one leg, that's 90 impacts. Right. So that's if you're loading 90 times. But, you know, most people will go out maybe for what, 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour. 
you know, add those impacts in a completely new movement pattern, then your structures aren't used to getting that type of impact. Yeah. If I told you, okay, well, go to the gym and do, you know, a thousand reps, you'll, <laughs> you'll be like, oh, you're crazy. But yet people won't think twice to go running, you know, for 30 minutes in a new pair of shoe that completely changes their biomechanics. You got the results and it's kind of, I guess, as reported, right? The, the Vaporfly more economical and yeah. ended up being faster. Um, probably like good to get the information that they're more economical and so is the uh, the racing flat, but then yeah. they improve time across the board. So then, like, what, like, what are you saying? This is due to, and well, like, I'd like to get this is like the discussion, right? Where um, when we're not peer reviewing your papers, so you're open to more interpretation of your data. Because um, some of the things that uh, I pulled out of your your paper were around like rear foot, like heel strikers versus midfoot, forefoot, um, and also the like the variation in in the responsiveness like of of individuals to those papers um to those like to the shoes um so that's kind of like that's the interesting part right where we're like yeah look if we get if we take an average of all of these people there's an improvement but you could be someone who's like you know really getting a lot of improvement out of out of these shoes or you're someone who's pretty much just wasting 400 bucks (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And, and that was something that we kind of wanted to make clear in, in, in our paper. And that's why we showed the individual variations between the, the different shoes as well and, and didn't just report the average and, and standard deviation. Um, so, yeah, so to, to come back to your point, um, there was around 60% of the people that the running economy got better when they, they wore the, the Vaporfly. Um, but that also means there's 40% of people that either didn't change much or they got worse when they they wore the Vaporfly. And some of them got a lot worse, like almost 10% worse. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And, it, exactly. <laughs> so, and to, like you say, you know, to say, oh, well, I'll put in 400 bucks and, you know, I'll, I'll get, I'll get a lot, a lot worse. Well, that's, yeah, that's not yeah, No one wants to buy the Nike negative 10%. No, no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and there was some, some um, so in the, in the previous Vaporfly uh, studies, um, it had been highlighted that the um, midfoot, forefoot people, so the, basically the non-rearfoot strikers, tended to respond less favor- favorably. So we did look at within our population, so we had four of the 18 runners who were non-rearfoot strikers, so they were either hitting the ground with a midfoot or a forefoot. And out of those four, um, if I remember correctly, only one of them got better with, with the Nike Vaporfly. Um, so there did seem to be an effect of whether you were a forefoot or a rearfoot striker. If you're, if you're typically a forefoot or midfoot striker, you are potentially less likely to respond favorably to, to, the, Nike, to the Nike Vaporfly. Um, yeah, I found one that, of the things that we saw. really fascinating because, you know, they're, de- they're developed around the elite of the elite runners, um, sure. you know, 50 kg Kenyan runners and they're all mid four foot strikers and the, not all, but you know, majority, <laughs> if you look at them, um, and you're probably going to pull me up on that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say that's that's debatable. There was a, a recent paper um, by Hanley and colleagues. I think it came out in 2019. 
looking at the um, World Athletics uh, half marathon and marathon races. Oh, I did. Yeah. And, you know, that I think it was almost 50% were, were rear foot strikers. Um, so, yes, there's a greater proportion of non-rear foot strikers and elite runners, but they're not all, you know, they're not all uh, four foot four foot runners. That's that's a, a misconception. And actually, I, I've now you, you got me thinking, oh, how does Iliad Kipchobe run? Because I think I recall that he runs rear foot, but I might be mistaken. Um well, I guess the difference yeah. really is the the overstriding or breaking force of the, the the rear foot strike compared to like a more natural, like under your center of mass. Like, um, I don't really know the biochem mechanical yeah. terms, sorry, but you know how there's bad rear yeah. foot striking and then there's like efficient rear foot striking. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I found that really like because the shoes they all the grip and everything is applied and even the newest ones which have the ear pockets are all four foot like it all kind of is pushing that technology or at least looks like with the the roll system um yeah. the rocker kind of thing that they've got on it to push you to the forefoot yeah but again these so the i can't i can't talk about the alpha flies um but the vapor flies that we tested, if you look at the construction of the shoe, um, it is slightly curved in the back and slightly curved in the front. Yeah. And actually the sole is, is pretty slick. Um, there's actually not much um, grip on, on it per se. It's actually quite a smooth surface. Um, and I mean, it's hard as you try to bend this shoe and you can't because of the carbon fiber plate in it, which is, which is really interesting. Um, which is even more interesting because when you run, you actually don't feel it being that stiff. You just feel like you've said that kind of rocker, that, that kind of spring like motion. Um, and I mean, ours are, when we discussed it, like, I guess the main of the cushioning will actually go in the heel portion of your shoe. Right. So in that 32 um, or 42 millimeters that you have in the back, um, that's where you have the greatest amount of, the foam and the cushioning. And if you actually look at the shoe construction, that that's where the plate starts. And then it, you know, curves downwards towards the midfoot and then toward the forefoot to kind of give you that spring like. So if you think about the spring, if you hold it up at the front part, it's, it's, it's almost like a, a springboard, right? If you, if you go to the pool and you jump on the springboard, if you jump on the springboard in the middle of it, you're not gonna you're not gonna get Nothing that much bounce. Yeah. But if you go really at the end of it, that's when you'll get the most rebound, right? So if you if you flip that around and, and feel like that rebound is where the heel is, because in essence that that's where you will get the most uh, give in the in the carbon fiber plate if you want, and where there's the most cushioning, it could be that if you're rear foot, you're getting the you know the most of that energy return or that most benefit because you're compressing in that region and then it's it's propelling you. Whereas if you're hitting more in the in the front foot, there's less cushioning and you can less um, get that spring action from the from the springboard or the car in this instance being the carbon fiber plate. Um, so I think it's more of a mechanical construction within the shoe. Um, and I would actually argue that it, it, it's actually going the, the, the other, you know, the other way around in the vapor flies. Just a side note on that. I have heard that Nike at some stage, and, and I think there might have been some of the other shoe companies, looked at developing a shoe, just as you said, that had 
actually no heel. That someone brought one out just like last week or so. Yeah. I don't, to, I don't know who it is. Um, I just saw it come through on Instagram or something. I was like, what? Yeah. So that, that's actually not a new idea. That was, you know, that was trialed and tested. Um, I think in the lead up to the, to the, to the two hour challenge actually. Um, and with that assumption being that, oh, well, most elite runners run to the front of our foot. Okay. We're going to try to reduce as much weight as we can from the heel. And the athletes hated it. Because you're not always going to be consistently always on your forefoot when when you're running. There'll be some variations there in terms of that loading and that variability in foot strike patterns. And they was like, that was the most stupidest idea we've ever had. And they they took it they took it away. <laughs> it's so. funny. I remember some of these back in the day, and they were I think they were geared towards you know people that just wanted bigger calves. And I was actually thinking about those shoes when you were talking about um, how you, your background is in calf some calf muscle biomechanics i believe yeah I, and, and i would agree with that i would say yeah it would be a, a, an awesome tool for developing calf muscles because <laughs> then people wouldn't go on running on their heels <laughs> yeah they were just like this platform underneath the your toes kind of and you had to like walk around like that i don't know i don't know if you'd really want to run with them but uh yeah they're pretty funny well, that explains the heel striking thing um mm. rear foot um and then yeah. Oh, well, so around the, the individual responsiveness, like how, what was like the best responders? Do you remember? Like, was, was it like, wow, these people like, this is dramatically faster. Yeah. I mean, we, we tried to um, tease out a little bit and, and answer that question, you know, who would respond more favorably. And we had a few assumptions there. So that, you know, the first one was, is it the people whose shoes are most comparable to the Nike Vaporfly? Um, so we looked at what people were used to wearing and we, in, you know, using the minimalist shoe index, tried to factor that in as a, as a measure, a proxy measure of how similar their shoes were to the Nike Vaporfly or how similar their shoes were to the flat. And yeah. would that explain how much they change in their running economy? And we didn't see any association there. Then we thought, okay, well, maybe it's how they feel in the shoes. So we had asked them, um, so I know this, this was one of, of the questions that you preempted me with um, is using a, a visual analog scale to um, quantify your shoe. So say the comfort of your shoe. Um, and and it, it is a tool that has been used um, to look at people's perception of shoes um, and has been shown valid and, and, and reliable. So we, we kind of use a subset of that just to see how comfortable people felt when they put on the vapor flyer, when they put on the flat and when they were running in their own shoe to see, okay, well, is comfort related to how well they perform in the time trial? Is it related to their economy measures? And it wasn't. And then we, we also tried to look at, um, do you feel these shoes help you perform? And their subjective rating was also not related to how well they responded to the shoe. Um, so to answer your question, we, we did try to look at, you know, a few of these different avenues to tease out, okay, who would potentially respond more favorably? Um, and either than, you know, the potential for the, the rear foot and non-rear foot strikers, um, we weren't able to see any perceptual measures or um, any relationship to what people were used to wearing. Um, so I unfortunately can't answer that. So short of going and trying out, you know, doing your own 3K or 5K time trial, um, with uh, Will's lactate measure. Um, 
<laughs> then yeah, it's it's really hard to know whether or not someone will um, respond favorably or not to the night to the night vapor fly. Chances are you you will, but it's not a, it's not assured. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a good um, finding or non-finding, <laughs> depends how you want to look at it. Of like it's it isn't necessarily like oh yeah, I think these are going to make me way faster. They're so comfy. Like now I'm going to be faster. It's like you've you you said like that didn't actually correlate. Like it was more so that the the shoe as it as it was was improving time and running economy, which is it's just what they're advertising, <laughs> which is yeah. what you want. And yeah, so like I guess that yeah, you've said you kind of just need to try them, right? Yeah, yeah. At, at this stage, we don't we don't have that information, unfor- unfortunately. So, you know, we have um, we do have a more data that we've collected with the Nike Vaporfly to look at um, those actual changes in, in running bi- uh, biomechanics um, between the different footwear conditions. So we're, we've just kind of started to explore that data as well. Um, so I'm hoping that maybe in a few months' time, maybe you guys can you know have me back on your podcast and I can tell you, oh yeah, from a biomechanical perspective. When these changes happen, then that suggests that you'll re- respond uh, favorably. But at this stage, I, either than being a, a rear foot or non-rear foot strikers, I, I can't help you much more than that. Yeah. What, what about, um, so you're running in flats, like minimalist shoes, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Like as a biomechanist, physiotherapist, why is that? Like, especially after seeing some of this, these results. Yeah, so now we're going completely, you know, from the Nike Vaporfly super technological shoes to, yeah, I run in something that has less technology possible. <laughs> um, and yeah, and I guess that that's more from a, like I mentioned earlier on, um, prior to the Nike Vaporflies, um, the thing that was the most associated with running performance in running shoes was the weight of the shoe. So the lighter you go, so for every 100 gram, uh, a reduced shoe mass, it's about 0.7 to 1% improvement in running economy. Um, there seems to be a plateau that, you know, once you get to around 220 grams, anything that you take more away um, doesn't necessarily seem to improve your performance that much more. Which, if you actually look at the at the Nike Vaporfly shoe, they're at uh, 210 gram. Oh. Um, so in their construction, yeah, I only realized that, like, a few months ago, I was like, oh, yeah, but, you know, they have smart people working for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes, and and when you think about running the, you know, uh, coming back to the calf muscle, you know, the calf muscle is one of the most important muscles, you know, for, for gait and locomotion and running. And actually by wearing, you know, your traditional bigger bulky shoes, you're actually reducing the amount of load um, that your calf muscle and contributes or you're, you're inhibiting to a certain extent um, the natural foot m- mechanics that, you know, we're kind of born with. Um, so, yeah, so that was more of a, I wanted to go back to that kind of fundamental um, way of running. Um, and I, I did believe that running in lighter shoes would actually um, make me faster. So, but then I had a baby in the meanwhile, and then, you know, things happen. And then, so <laughs> then you get older, you don't necessarily get faster all the time, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I do, I do actually enjoy running. It took me a while to adapt though. And that's what people forget. 
people think that you can transition um, relatively quickly and then they get injured. Um, you know, it took me, I would say, a good seven to eight months to fully transition my running program to running in Milner's shoe. Now, I run about 80 to 100K a week. Um, but that's that's how long it took me to say, yeah, okay, I, I now feel like I'm, I'm comfortable enough that I don't have to worry about, about injuries and, and whatnot. I'll cancel my order then. Or, uh, <laughs> sure, I, it's like up, so up in the air. But, uh, I have limited time to cancel my order. Yeah, I mean, at, at the at the end of the day, running is good for you. Yeah, so fundamentally, um, if you want to write to run in Nike Vaporfly, or if you want to write in a run in minimal shoe, if you want to run in you know um, shoes without heels, then you know you go for it. <laughs> if you're running, it's making you healthier and happier, so um, it's all good. Well, I think uh, that that will pretty much do us for today. Like that was super interesting to get like an actual like scientific look at what's happening with these shoes and we kind of don't know if matt's going to buy them or not so <laughs> <laughs> to, to be continued <laughs> to be continued we're waiting on your results for this next one so <laughs> that'll, I mean, that'll be and, and again like when one of the things that would be interesting moving forward is um looking at habituation so one of the things to consider is that these people came into the lab and you know they got tested with you know, the, the flat, the racing flats and the Nike Vaporfly, but they didn't have time to, you know, go and, and train for them. So I've just finished talking about, you know, it took me seven months to become used to running in, in, in minimal footwear and, and flat shoes. And I would feel comfortable now, you know, racing a 3K, 5K half marathon wearing racing flats. But if you put me in those two, you know, two years ago, I wouldn't have been comfortable, you know, doing that. Um, so is there a learning effect both for the racing flats and the Nike 4% shoe. So in those non-responders, maybe if you gave them a, a training period of times, then they, they might become responders because they would adapt to these new biomechanics that are, are new to them or novel to them because of, of the Nike Vaporfly. Um, so yeah, there's not yet a training study on um, Vaporfly shoes. And yeah, so to be continued um that's that's awesome so if we want to you know keep in touch with you like follow follow along it looks like you're quite active on twitter and yeah. where else like what how can we how can we follow what you're up to yeah so so twitter is a, a pretty good um place um you can also just um check out my research on my university webpage. and if you're just interested in, in what i'm doing just you know flick me an email and look for some, you know, collaboration and, and always happy to have a chat. So that's cool. I'll link to all those in the show notes. Otherwise we'll let you go off and enjoy your day. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks, Kim. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Performance Advantage podcast. If you enjoyed that episode, check out our other episodes, share it with a friend. It really helps us out and increases the reach of what we do. Thanks, and we'll catch you next time. See ya.